Jalen and Jacoby, the after show is brought to you by our good friends at AT&T. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. It's just so great to hear Jason talk about the making of this film and all the different interviews and all the decisions that happened behind the scenes, just getting this done and the accelerated timeline. And now that we're looking at episode eight, there's something that comes to mind is this is about Michael Jordan, but it's not just about that. It's about this era of the NBA, an era that you played in. And there are so many people. Charles Barkley came up earlier and Isaiah Thomas came up earlier. and Reggie Miller came up in episode eight. There are so many players that just Michael Jordan stopped from getting championships. What did it feel like to know that there could be a big old chunky championship ring on your finger right now if it wasn't for Michael Jeffrey Jordan and you are not alone? So it's like um, Slick Rick once said it, don't hurt me again. What was that, teenage love? So so I, I watch these and, I, and I'm excited to like relive the stories. Mm-hmm. But – as somebody that was in the foxhole, it's like watching the games, watching the officiating, watching the coaching, the substitution patterns, the score, and getting suspended for game five. It it it, it just makes me feel a, a little a, a little nause nauseated. I guess that's a word that we didn't stop MJ from getting his second three peat. Remember, every time you talk about him, we discuss his legacy. We always d- acknowledge the fact that he had back-to-back three-peats interrupted by the two years that he didn't play. I'm like, man, we had a chance to end that. It's, But it's not just you and Reggie Miller and those Pacers. And you think about we saw – uh, Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. We saw Charles Barkley. We saw Carl Malone. Patrick Ewing, Carl John, Malone, and John, John Stockton. Stockton. Like you see all of these Hall of Fame Drexler. that do not have rings. And there's a singular reason, and that is because there's a man named Michael Jeffrey Jordan that exists on this planet, and that is what stunted their growth and hurt their legacy. <laughs> oh, really? You going to rub it in? Really? You going to act like that? Really? Oh, yeah. Really? really? You didn't oh, win yeah. your rec league this year. Y'all didn't win it, the championship this year. Jalen, I don't think that has the emotional impact of not winning a rec league one season when you get gets brought up all the time. You look at Charles Barkley's media career. A lot of people didn't know what a great player he was. They just know that he gets ribbed by Shaq for not winning a ring. And there's so much focus in our society on winning a championship, winning a championship. And Michael Jordan also focused on the same thing and blocked so many other people from accomplishing it. It's just, it's just fascinating to watch. You just see all of these Hall of Famers, all of these stars, Go up against Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan just take them all down one by one year after year. To discuss that and much more, we're going to now, like we always do, bring in the director of the film, Jason Aaron, to tell some more behind the scenes stories. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restrictions apply. 
nothing realer than someone you can rely on. Whether you're relying on them to make the shot in the clutch or to be there when you need it most. And as we've seen in this documentary, Michael Jordan is truly the greatest clutch performer of all time. But someone you can trust to come in the clutch makes all the difference on or off the court. With State Farm, you get a teammate you can rely on. You get the real deal. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now we welcome back in the director of The Last Dance, Hercules, Hercules. And I always like to start these conversations about the episode the same place you started the episode. And you started this with B.J. Armstrong against Michael Jordan. Michigan. B.J. Armstrong now on the Hornets. But the perceived slights keep coming back up. This time it was Armstrong celebrating a win. Later in the episode, it was George Carl not saying hi to him at a restaurant. Why do you think Michael <laughs> Jordan takes these small little perceived slights and turns them into mountains of disrespect to fuel his performance? Dominance. I think when you dominate for that long, you need to start conjuring challenges for yourself. You need to start conjuring slights. You need to, to make up reasons for yourself to get pissed off or to keep yourself challenged. Much the same way that Jalen's old coach, Larry Legend, Back in the day, one time had a Lakers game coming up and decided he was going to play the game before the Lakers game, all left-handed to rest his right hand. Get him, legend! That's what guys who are operating on that level have to do to keep themselves motivated. So Michael had, had at that point, really run out of people, aside from a few, who he could – who could issue him challenges. So that's what he did. And also, I think with BJ – and to this day, they're very good friends. I think Michael, when he plays with somebody, that is a family member to him. That's someone in his inner circle, and he takes mm-hmm. great offense. He, he, he values loyalty to the utmost. And when someone's going to betray him like that, and he thought it was a betrayal that, that BJ screamed at the bench after hitting a shot like that, um, he takes that personally. There's a kid named Lance Blanks. Jalen, you would know this guy. First round pick. With, for the Pistons. Early in his Pistons career, first or second year was when the walk-off happened. And Michael used to play with Lance Blanks at Fred Whitfield's camp in Carolina every summer. So he knew him well. And when they got to that camp in the summer of 91, Lance came up to him and Michael had no time for him. Like, you're friends with me and you're not going to come up and shake my hand. You're going to go, you're going to side with them and disrespect me like that. Loyalty is of the utmost. I didn't know that story, Jason. It's true. And I don't know how they are now. I assume they're fine now. Um, but at the time, I remember I said to Michael, do you remember a kid named Lance Blanks? And he lit up. Uh-huh. I do. And he knew he, he told me the story before I could even ask about it because he was on that walk-off team. Um, Joe Dumars, I think, is the only guy on that team who didn't walk off. Sally may, may have said something to, to Michael, but Dumars didn't walk off. Um, the other guys did, and Lance Blanks did, and Michael took offense to it. So for BJ, and again, they're fine now. Uh, but at the time, that's all Michael needed. You're gonna light that match, then then that's all. Michael he Jordan might be the greatest basketball player of all time, but he's definitely the greatest grudge holder of all time. Like any sort of slight <laughs> from 30 years ago, he's gonna remember, and you're gonna pay for it until you apologize. Ask Charles Barkley. I know yeah. <laughs> it's wild. he was just like, yo, the Bobcats struggling to put their squad together. MJ deleted his number and everything <laughs> for 30 years. What's up with that, Jason? I had nothing to do with that. I heard I'm that blaming that, you. I thought, that, <laughs> I thought that Kenny Smith brokered a, a a reconciliation between them. I didn't know about that. Well, we will see. I mean, I actually have a, a serious question for you regarding that. And 
you know, he holds grudges and he's hypersensitive to the way that he's spoken about and portrayed in the media. And here you are with the responsibility of making a documentary about his life, not just his career. Have you heard any feedback during this run from his camp? Have you heard any criticisms from his people? What has been Michael Jordan's response to The Last Dance? I have no idea. Um, and I don't say that derisively. I don't. That's a good thing. We don't have that relationship. And if we did, then there'd be a problem with the making of the documentary. I I didn't get into this thing. Listen, it's a thrill to interview Michael Jordan. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't get into this thing to be friends with Michael Jordan, nor should I have. It would be irresponsible of me to do that. So I think I did my job as well as I could do it. I think he respected the job that I had to come in and do, but it's not like we're on text. I do text with his son every once in a while. Marcus, um, we're friendly. Shout Marcus. Great guy. And it's, and, and, and also, um, Jeffrey and Jasmine, we interviewed them as well. And, and I have a good relationship with them. I think that that family is so incredible in so many ways. And I've said that about his mom and everybody else, but I don't have that relationship with them. And, you know, honestly, like he, he's not the audience for this thing. Well, I think the fact that you haven't got any notes back from him is good news in this sense, but you did get some notes during the editing yes, process and you got, you got some interesting notes about this particular episode in regards to the chronology of his returning to basketball and the double nickel game in MSG. What exactly did Michael Air Jeffrey Jordan tell you about the chronology of his return to the NBA? This was right when we went into lockdown. So, um, I know that Michael saw bits and pieces of earlier episodes, but I think that he had a life to live and he was probably out golfing 36 holes a day and hanging out with his twin babies and and just living retired life, doing what he's mm-hmm. doing for the, the Jordan brand and for the Hornets, whatever. So I don't think that the doc was at the forefront of his mind. When the quarantine went down in mid-March, all of us were locked down, including the Michael Jordans of the world. So he had time, ample time, for better or worse, to watch these rough cuts just like the rest of the partners had done for the entire process. So all of us back in the edit room were like, we're we're at home actually at that point, but on the edit team, we're thinking like, what is this going to mean for the – what if he says rip up these episodes? I don't want one, two, three, four, five, change it around, take this out, take this Mm. out. So we got notes back on episode eight. And um, it has like whose note it is. And it's, you know, John Dollars, JD, Connor Shell, CS. Shout, shout, Libby. Libby, guys. Um, and there's, there's a note, there's an MJ note, which is like, okay. He, <laughs> and when he came back from baseball, the first game was against Indi- Indiana, in Indianapolis, and he was rusty. We cut from that just for time purposes. We cut right from that comeback game because we had to cover that game right Mm -hmm. to the double nickel, famous 55-point game in Madison Square Garden. His note, he said, there was a game in between those in Atlanta when I hit a buzzer beater. So It was. Go check that out because that's who I could be the old MJ was that night in Atlanta. So it's one thing to get that note from any executive would be, a great note to get it from the guy who's saying this, I'm telling you, this is when I knew I could be that guy. It was, it was a perfect note to get. Um, he gave a similar note about the Oakley. Yeah. The Oakley Cartwright trade um, earlier in the series. He said that when we're talking about the Jerry Krause beef, like that was a big brick in that wall that he traded Oakley away. So we should, in his prime, we should touch on that. Yeah. And, and he acknowledges in his interview um, in defense of Jerry Krause, that that was the right move. But at the time, 
he was pissed off about it because that was his enforcer defender on the court and his best friend off the court on the team. So that's the kind of notes that he was giving at that point. And then everybody from, from, for eight, nine and 10, I just watched today, uh, the almost finished version of 10 and gave my own notes to the final audio mix and color correction. And then in a couple of days, so we're still not done with the the series yet, but we will be, or we better be in about a week or else they're going to rip up my contract. <clears throat> I, I I figure you're not going to have any problems getting contracts and projects from now no, on my brother. Right. right now you're trending right. for all of the right, right reasons. The people talking about the soundtrack, people talking about, the lives that have changed and how we look at certain individuals the same and or different because we're going deeper into their lives with this story. So Michael Jordan, however, returned to basketball and did get eliminated. That's one of the things like mm. that kind of goes under the radar. Good point, Jay. Against Horace Grant, one of those people, unlike BJ Armstrong, that was able to close the deal. So why was losing to Shaq, Penny, Nick Anderson stole the ball from him? Why was that so important to the three-peat that ultimately took place? That's a great question, and it reminded me of something, too. That's another note that he gave because me, I'm the director. I know it all. I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. I've studied this whole thing. I said, you know, I made the decision on the rough cut. Horace Grant wasn't that big a deal. Michael wasn't ready to come back. He was rusty. We can't spend a lot of time on Horace Grant because we got story to, to move on to. Michael said, no, I was pissed. That is what drove me that offseason wow. to lose to the Magic and to lose to Horace Grant like that. So, and my editors, they were right. Like, they're, they're, Abai Sofsky is one of our editors. He's, he's brilliant. And Chad Beck is our lead editor. Brilliant. They put that in. And these, I, on purpose did, I hired non-sports guys for this because I wanted them just to Smart. keep on the story. Um, and they said that's an interesting story to them. So this is a good example of how it's a collaborative effort. I'm not always right with these things. So I said, we'll keep it out. Michael said, put it back in. They said, see, Jason, we were right too. We're on Michael's team with this. We put that in. Tim Grover who is is one of the um, MVP interviews of this thing. His batting average and his sound bites was like through the roof. His interview was yeah, they were. captivating. Yeah. He tells that story and he gets choked up at saying like normally guys would take a month off and Michael saying, I'll see you tomorrow. That's Correct. how fired up he was. So you can make a good argument. Um, he was rusty. He knew it. He came back as number 45. And when Nick Anderson said 45 ain't 23, mm. that lit a fire. And you saw what he did. Just you got a glimpse. Change this number. You got a glimpse of it when he came back to twenty three. He couldn't sustain it for the entire series. The Bulls couldn't sustain it. Honestly, that that team was in a bit of disarray. This is pre Rodman. Remember, Rodman was maybe the most important X factor in that that second three P. So he goes into that summer and he's got Space Jam to do, but he needs to get himself back into shape into playing shape. And he knows, as we've discovered in episodes five and six, that his game did his talking. There's no movies, there's no McDonald's, there's no Hanes, there's no Gatorade, there's no Nike without his game on the on the floor. So he said, I got to get back in and, and get back to who MJ is. I got one more thing I want to say. The, the, the great work you've done with this documentary and all of these episodes, and you did this with the Fab Five. You have people who are living a life currently and feel a type of way about what happened in the past. 
but it's covered so well that when you discuss it now, it's almost like you felt then. So when people see you, it's like they're judging you about how you felt 25 years ago. Oh, I remember that. Isaiah Thomas yep. had to deal with that in his part. Dennis Rodman had to deal with that in his part. Scotty Pippen, Jerry Krause, rest in peace, would have had to deal with that in his part. So my follow-up question is somebody else that played a prominent role in this these documentary series that also would be doing a lot of explaining. And that's Horace Grant. Mm -hmm. Jordan have many rivals other than the Pistons, but Horace Grant was the guy that I saw that was like, yo, Horace leaked stuff to the media. Mm -hmm. Horace was the guy that said, I said that Republicans buy shoes too. So from what I see is he got Horace out of there. So double down on what it was like, not only to lose to an opponent, but to lose in particular to Horace Grant. Well, their relationship is fraught. I'm not sure. I, I think Sam Smith is the one who to this day takes, takes credit or blame for, for publishing and hearing first the Republicans buy sneakers to statement. And, and to be honest, I don't Shout know. Shout Sam Smith. That's my guy. I love him. But the, the key is this, not only did Horace Grant go on to Orlando and blossom into who he blossomed into on his own. He was no longer, you know, the third wheel. Yeah, of the 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 one two punch that was Scotty and Michael, and he has some jealousy. Sure, as any as any good athlete does, he could conjure some stuff too if he needed to. You know, then he gets carried off the floor at the United Center. This is someone. This is you left your home for eighteen months. Your whole family is there, and you come back in, and there's some dude drinking your beer with his feet up on your footrest in your home. He didn't just win and walk off and respectfully say, hey, I've played my best. Respect to MJ. We'll see you next year. He pumped his fist and got carried off the floor as an opponent in mm. Michael's house. Mm. That burned him. Less I than mean, 12 hours later, he's back in the weight room. It burned him so much. And, and there was that summer of Space Jam. And one of the things that I always focus on when it comes to professional basketball is not the professional basketball, it's the pickup games. And we saw a little bit of that with the Dream Team <laughs> last week, which is phenomenal. But I want to know, was is there anything that was on the cutting room floor? Is there any stories from those Space Jam pickup games that you can share with us? The only thing that was on the floor was that um, it wasn't just NBA guy. George Clooney played in those games. Um Joe Pickett, the director, played in some of those games. Joe Pickett takes credit for the Bulls signing Dennis Rodman because he says that <laughs> that uh, he told Michael that summer that you guys should sign Dennis Rodman and that all of a sudden Michael met with Dennis that night at, at the Peninsula Hotel in, in Hollywood and, and whatever. The spot. Success has a thousand fathers. Failure is an orphan. And Joe Pick is one of the dads, I guess. Um, <laughs> but there were, there were NBA guys there. There were non NBA guys there, celebrities there. This was the place to be in America, pop culturally in the summer of 95 was the Jordan Dome on the Warner Brothers lot. So, um, what's most interesting to me and, and, and the, the pickup game stuff. I agree with you, Jacoby, that like watching the Monte Carlo pickup game, we could have just done that as an episode. Just real talk. Those games. Real no talk. No edits. Just that angle. Yeah. We, 
I remember we ordered lunch one day and I just closed the door and me and a few guys from the staff, we just sat there and watched these games. Mm. Just watch them. Like not trying to break them down, not logging them, not subtitling them. Just let's just watch the best basketball that's ever been played. Let's just watch that for a while. Um, and it was the same with, there wasn't quite as much B-roll of the, of the Jordan Dome games, but, um, Jawan Jalen, you know what? I, I only knew this story later on. I like shirt off Jawan in a dot. <laughs> um, Billy D, what did you call him in, in, uh, in Fat Five? <laughs> Light skin Billy D? No question. Um, Never seen him without a haircut and a crease in his pants. I read. And that- the problem with that footage, just so you know, he was playing basketball with Michael Jordan during the day. I was doing whatever I was doing, and then we was getting in and getting it in at night. The problem was he was hooping during the day, and I was. That, that, that's the problem. <laughs> it says a lot about your careers and approach. <laughs> he was staying at Michael's house that summer, though. I didn't know that. I, I read that later on that Jawan said that Michael invited him to come out to those games. Shout David Falk. Is that oh? Is that why? Because because he represented him. I just thought. I love the, the, the aspect of that story, which is that, yeah, come out and play. Like, come on out. He was scouting guys. He was, mm-hmm. he was seeing these guys, how the games had evolved in the last two years and who the new guys were. BJ tells a great story, um, about Latrell Sprewell. Michael, for some reason, was obsessed with Latrell when he was gone and just thought that this guy was such an athlete and reminded him of him so in so many ways, his game. Mm. And he showed up to the Warriors facility and started playing pickup with these guys and schooled them because he wanted Sprewell to know that he could still be himself and he could still come back. There's so many of these little stories like that in that 18. Wow. I didn't know that, Jason. So wait, wait. So, so got to play Jordan. a lot of video games with Latrell Sprewell and had Dude, remember him in NBA 95 beverages. No <laughs> doubt. He was hanging on the rim. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, for the people who fell in love with Allen Iverson's cultural revolution and correct me if I'm wrong, Sprewell rocked the cornrows first. Probably because of Coolio. <laughs> Always comes back to Coolio for Jason. <laughs> <laughs> and Probably the music. Your boy C. Webb out in, in Golden State. They had the, they had arguably the best team in NBA 95 that year and on the video game, but that was a fun team to watch. And I think that Michael sussed that out and was like, all right, I want to go check this out. I forget who he was going to visit. Was it, would it have been BJ at that point? No, because BJ was on the Bulls. He went out to visit somebody and just said, yeah, I'll play a little bit. Now, one of the things that I want to see in this documentary is some of the legendary nightlife stuff. And it must be hard for you <laughs> That's to all get you these care stories about. out of see, people. I'm asking a question. No, I'm being no, a journalist no, right no, here, Jalen. No, 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 I'm being a no. journalist. We got a successful guest here. He's trending right now. We're talking about the music. And I'm asking professional questions. You see what he want to ask you about, Jason? Champagne and campaign. You see what he want to do? Uh, can I ask my my very intense journalistic question? It would it, it'd be it just just doing my duty as a journalist. I have to ask these questions. How hard was it not to include that stuff? And were people willing to tell the stories? And I mean, there's obviously there's rumors of him that sort of not being the greatest husband in the world. And obviously, his off court activities might have been as rumored as as celebrated as his on court activities. So, how did you approach that aspect of this sort of like not the most not the most uh the like not the greatest side of Michael Jordan's career and his life and legacy? Here's how I approach that. If Michael in that era were the only guy who liked to, as Jalen says, champagne and campaign preach, 
if he in that era was the only guy who may or may not have been with some people or or women or or, or whoever, then we get a story because it's unique to him. You have bums like me getting it in. <laughs> he wasn't getting it in. Then Before he got his teeth done, problem. Um, that's my point, though. Like, if this was if this was an era, and I don't know if there's ever been an era when when NBA guys have not been known for that kind of behavior, then, um, and he was the only one. Yeah, would go down that road. There's stories about AC Green because he was the only one who wasn't doing that. <laughs> right. AC Green oh, might wow. be the most famous virgin at it like in the world right. because he was oh, the biggest man. outlier. He was I'm the biggest a... aberration in, in NBA history. Jason, I'm a bad human being. I never even looked at it that way. I'm such a bad guy. Well, I mean, I always see it as like it's like part of the story of these two episodes is also his fatigue. And you do a really good job of sort of like showing his fatigue via some of the b-roll decisions but not necessarily talking about it so much i'm but glad of, you went there's there. a part of it in my head that says maybe some of this fatigue is due to some of the off-court activity not always the on-court activity when are we talking like episode i think it was episode eight that we just watched where he talks about how tired he is or maybe it was episode seven right before he retired where you just sh- you show him kind of walking off the court with his shorts are backwards and he just lost and you just sort of, you <laughs> that was against see, indianapolis yeah I- Indiana. Um, sure, so listen, I respect the question and I, I would love to get some beers and guess what was going on with these guys too. There were no cameras there. This 500 hour treasure trove, <laughs> there was a certain amount of access that they did not get. And I can assure you they weren't getting anything like that. Um, but the, the backward shorts game is the comeback game against Indiana and the, the exhaustion fatigue. We went over like this is, this is the gambling stuff. He's, he's, putting his team on his back to win a third in a row and then his dad gets murdered. So mm. I don't think that the fatigue had anything to do with that. Um, wow. No, I, I, I don't, that I, I don't agree know. with you. I, 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 here's the other thing too. Here's what I do know from the people that we interviewed um, Michael himself and his security team and all that for him to go out. This isn't just like Jalen meet me in the lobby and we're going to go to a club. He had to call local police to get him into these places. He can't, at that point, he could barely do it now. At that point, at the height of his fame, he's not going out and, and just walking into a club. Great point. Out. Like, I do think that he probably went out when he felt like it, but a lot of the time, it's true that you saw him sitting there on his couch and saying, this is it. This is the, the he said, this is not a life that you would envy. He's stuck in his hotel room like that. That's why he was so close with his dad. Or well, one of the reasons he and his dad were so close they would play cards and play dominoes and do crossword puzzles and watch old Westerns together on road trips. His dad was with him. You think his dad was going out to the club with him? He, he was surrounded <laughs> right, by point. dad and these older security guards who reminded him of his dad. But that was his code. Doing of this. Yeah. John Michael shrugging. So I, 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 we, you're really gracious with your time. And I know we got to, got to get out of here. But, but I want to ask you one more thing, if that's okay. So. The, the beauty of the greatness of somebody like Michael Jordan, to me, it, it will never be duplicated. So for a person like this to finally open up to the world, but do it and use you as a vehicle, how does it feel when you are walking the tightrope of he's trusting me with intimate stories that took place versus you know what 
that's a little too far. Maybe I shouldn't put that in the dock. You're saying, like, do I push if I feel like he's not giving me enough? And or if he gave you too much that you probably was like, you know, you kind of went hard on Horace Grant right there. No. Or never. on Jerry Krause right there. Never. That type of thing. Never. Never. Because at the very least, my out, my outlook on this thing from the beginning was let's let's go as hard as we can in these rough cuts and then I'll fight the battles. And there's some hills I'll die on and sometimes I'll dig my heels in and, and kick and stomp and have a, a knockdown drag out brawl of which we had plenty uh, in the last two years with all of the partners. And I think that the show is better for it. I told you guys just earlier about how wrong I was about the, the Horace Grant story. So I was not always right with these things, but I will say there's nothing that we ever did not put in that we wanted to put in. And we said, well, that that's too hard. That's not going to go over too well. Never once and mm. never once anything that Rough. we put in that they say there's, there's a couple of moments coming up in episodes nine and 10. And I'm sure you're going to ask me for, for previews of those that they push back on and I fought them on and we, they pushed back and forth and back and forth as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Mm. But ultimately they, decided that it's okay, fine, keep it in. Because there never once was, and I know this is, listen, conspiracy theories, people love them. And I'm sure people want to believe like, oh, whatever, he had control over this thing. And this isn't a real documentary. It's not real journalism because Michael Jordan. Oh, it's real. <laughs> Trust me. I'm As telling a player, you somebody has done a documentary, this is real. He, I, he got ice in that glass. That's, my, this is real. <laughs> my voice is, is too hoarse. From, from all of the, the talking and, and arguing that we've done in the last two years <laughs> to sit there and let someone say it's not a real story and real journalism and it's a puff piece and that it's promotional. Listen, just because the guy is the hero in a lot of the stories that we're telling doesn't mean that it's false. Mm. He won six titles in eight years. How do you Superman. want Superman. So, you know, and I think that we, we attacked, especially in these episodes, in episode six and some in episode five, we attacked the things that I wanted to attack. I remember when I first got the job, people saying like, well, you're not going to do the gambling stuff. Well, didn't he get suspended by David Stern? You're never going to go there. Didn't he get his dad killed? You're not going to ask him about that. We addressed everything I wanted to address and more with him. So one more thing, and I know Jacoby's going to kill me and Daniel and our crew is working so really hard. Okay. Did you ask him about playing basketball with his tongue out? Like, I'll never forget about, like, just standing in front of him when I got to the league and he came back. And I couldn't believe, like, it was one thing to see it on TV because you can't really notice it. But, like, when you stand in front of somebody and you notice that their tongue is hanging out, like, did you ask him anything about that? Of course not. Why are you so obsessed with this? Yeah. This is crazy. You would never think this is you play basketball with your corner. shorts down to your shins. I never asked you about that either. People but I can't their walk own down the street with my tongue out of my mouth. Like, that just baffles me that you're around 30,000 people and you get to perform at an elite level and your tongue is hanging out. Like, I wasn't good enough to slap his tongue. If I was Reggie Miller, I would have tried it at least. But I, I just, it, that just always fascinated me. <laughs> the man, his dad, when he was working on cars or on radios or in the yard, his dad built the second story to their house. They had a one story mm. house. They needed more room. And his dad ripped the roof off, put a tarp on. Michael and his brothers were freezing their asses off with rain coming down on the tarp as they were trying to sleep. And his dad 
James Jordan built the second story to their house. So when Michael was observing his dad do all this hard work, he had the habit of sticking his tongue out as he was mm. working. And Michael got it from there. Oh, that's so, so dope. 30 years later, when you see Michael doing work, he's got his tongue out too. So, uh, Jason, I have one more question. I mean, last week was the week of John Michael Wozniak and the Shrug. And uh, this week, there's another bit player who I find fascinating, and that's a gentleman by the name of George, who is labeled as Michael Jordan's best friend. And if you were to ask me who's Michael Jordan's best friend, I might say Ahmad Rashad. I'm, I might say Charles Oakley. I mean, that's sort of like those are the relationships that are, are sort of like rumored to be close to Michael. But who is this guy, George, that is his best friend? And why did it say best friend on his uh, lower third? I didn't make that up. You think I put best friend on there and that got that made it all That's the way? I'm asking. That was a text. That was a direct text. This person, those words. That came from Michael would like to have him listed as this. So back in 1984, Michael Jordan gets drafted by the Chicago Bulls. He's never been to the city of Chicago before. He hops on a plane by himself and he gets off the plane and the car that's supposed to pick him up is not there. And he has nowhere to go. And this guy walks up to him and says, hey, aren't you Larry Jordan? (laughs) And Michael says, no, that's my brother. I'm Michael Jordan. And he says, well, my name is George. Um, Looks like you're looking for a ride. My guy didn't show up that I'm supposed to drive. I can take you wherever you want to go. Wow. So Mm. he gets into George's limo. George drives him to the hotel where the training camp is, where he's staying. And he says, hey, uh, and they talk on the way there. And Mike, Michael tells him, I'm new in town. I don't know what I'm doing. He wants a, a, to know a place to get his hair cut. And George tells him, um, there's this place down the road. I can take you there if you want. Mike's not in a car yet. So this becomes his friend. This is in 1984. To this day, mm. Michael calls him his best friend. Michael's got a lot of close friends. And I'm, I'm, it's not up to me to, to, to say who's his best friend. But that, that, <laughs> that came from somebody else to, to label George like that. So... Um, I love that story, and George was was awesome to us. He's a really, really fun guy. George has all the champagne campaign stories, and he will never tell them in that why he that is why he is truly Michael Jordan's best friend. Uh, we always appreciate you taking the time uh, late on these Sunday nights to join us after the last dance. That's your bedtime, Jacoby. The kids oh, yeah. about to wake I'm up tired. and come in there I'm in a tired. minute. I'm tired. I'm tired. Can you tell? And we look forward to having you back next week after. The final episode, episode 10. I think I'm making do an episode 11. Like, I feel like there's already an email. <laughs> it's about, about to be a 20. Episode 11. Yeah. Jason yeah. and 50 Cent putting out more content than anybody <laughs> at this point. Hoodie on, booth lace. Look at him. What can you tell <laughs> us about next Sunday's experience? More episodes, Jason. We're going past 10. A lot of people asking for it. What are your thoughts? Um. I don't have any comment on that. I will answer the question about next Sunday. So it, it's become fun now for us on the inside to try and predict like what's going to resonate with people. Cause I didn't know that John Michael Wozniak was going to be on t-shirts uh, before <laughs> last week. or that former Chicago resident could have, man, the messages. <laughs> oh, God, people are offended by that. And, and I told you he was going to become president by the end of the series. And, and he did in, in episode five. All facts. And you'll see him again. President Obama has not made his last appearance in this series. There's a moment at the end of nine with Jalen's old coach, Larry Legend, that I think is going to melt the internet. Mm. You hear that, Jacoby? Jacoby, can you tell Jason? Answer from our guest. Be quiet. What happens in the moment? (laughs) No. 
No, no, no. We can discuss it next week. Same time. No, it's not, it's not yeah. like the ratings are going to get better. You don't have to tease it. Like everyone's watching this I game regardless. Tease, Tell tease, us what happens. It's one of those moments that I never thought they would let us keep in. And it closes the show. Mm. Um, you also are going to get, listen, two of the best series of the 90s took place with that 98 Bulls team. The, of course, the six game series against, um, the Jazz in the finals in which mm-hmm. Michael hits the shot in 98. I don't yeah, think that was crazy. Away there. And we spend a solid like 10 minutes in episode 10, uh, on that game six because that game was crazy. That and, was. Shout out to my brother um, Howard Isley. Got a chance to play against those guys twice right. in, in the finals and lost both times. Boston we College. A little war stories, but it didn't matter. Boston College's own Howard Isley. Um, yes, indeed. The access that they got by that point, the access that they were giving the camera crew for like before the games in the locker room, after the game, after the championship, you're going to see some people that show up in that locker room. You're like, I didn't know, you know, there's, there's a, there's a certain heartthrob from the biggest movie on the planet at that time, Mm. uh, who all of a sudden shows up in the, in the Bulls locker room. Um, so it's fun stuff like that, but also examinations of those series of Reggie shot in game four, Jalen Rose. You're going to see Jalen Rose not only on this screen next week, but also on the big screen in episode nine, recounting his memories of that series as well. And then the backstories are not done. And arguably my favorite backstory and one of the most, two of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life in Steve Kerr and his mother. Um, I love Steve Kerr so much. That is my guy. And like I'm old and washed up and want to play for him. His mom is, is, um, she is like, you know, Steve's answer to Dolores Jordan is Ann Kerr, his mom, and and their family went through a tragedy as well, similar to Michael's. And so we saw this week um, that Michael popped him, and you know, Michael said, oh, "I hit the smallest guy on the team." He certainly wasn't the the least tough guy on the team. Steve Kerr might be the toughest guy of any of those Bulls in the '90s, and you'll see why in, in episode nine. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, two of my favorite. I think that the final four episodes of this series is my, my favorite stretch of episodes. So I'm looking forward to people watching it. I want to thank Jason Hare for coming on, as he always does every episode, and sharing some of the behind-the-scenes stories in the making of this documentary. And Jalen, I don't do this very often, but I want to thank you. Just thank for you, being, brother. Just for being a partnership on this fun project that we get to discuss every single episode of The Last Dance. Thank you so much for listening to the Jalen and Jacoby After Show, presented by AT&T. Yeah,